Amen. Thank you, Brother Landon. All right, well, it's a, it's a real blessing to have the opportunity to, to teach Sunday school again, and uh, I really look forward to the edification that we're going to get from the Word of God this morning, or really this afternoon. It's morning for Heritage Grace time. Right. <laughs> so uh, let's pray, and then uh, we'll get going. Uh, go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 2. That's where we'll begin um, our study this morning, you know, you know, today, or in Sunday school. And once you, uh, I'm going to be doing that all, all Sunday school this morning, this morning. So well, let's pray and then we'll get going. Father, thank you for the truth of your word, the clarity of your word, and just the, the power of your word. I pray that we would be edified and, and spurned and moved towards glorify, glorifying Christ in all that we do based on what we learned today from Galatians. Seeing the Holy Spirit and His mighty work in us as as fallen sinners in need of, of a Savior, and I just pray that we would uh, just focus on the work of the Spirit and the work of Christ today in Christ's name, Amen. amen. All right, and uh, just kind of a basic background: uh, Galatians is well known to us as um, a, a Paul a letter, a Pauline epistle to churches in Galatia that are that are under siege from Judaism and from a Judaistic uh, heresy that had crept in. And he's really, the, his whole uh, argument in, in the entire book is addressing the heresy of the Judaizers, <laughs> being that works of the law bring forth righteousness and the need for Gentiles to be circumcised and following the law and things of that nature. And, um, you know, they would say that it must be kept in order to be right with God, the old covenant law. The first two chapters seem to deal with his personal experience from his conversion to meeting with Peter and the Jerusalem council and the, the hypocrisy there over circumcision and things of that sort. And really beginning in chapter two, verse 15, we will, uh, we'll begin our reading. We'll read down, um, to the end of the chapter just as we get started. And we really begin to see here Paul's uh, beginning his theological argument, the argument from Scripture on why the Old, the Old Testament law does not bring forth righteousness in a man. So we read here, We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. But if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild what what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. We see Paul's uh, emphasis on faith alone for for righteousness before God. And he establishes a baseline assertion with with this text. And he continues to expand his argument in the coming chapters and verses. And our focus, you know, for really from here on is, you know, we're going to zero in on the Holy Spirit's work 
in this, uh, but we will we'll see the the primary teaching of the scriptures as well, based on you know the the power of Christ's finished work on the cross and things of that nature. But we'll definitely see the um, the glorious work of the Spirit in so doing. So uh, in chapter three, verses one through five, continuing that context that we just read, it says, "You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you?" before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This is the only thing I want to know that I want to find out from you. Did you receive the, the spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish having begun by the spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Do you, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then does, does he who provides you with the spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith. We see his his understanding, Paul's understanding, understanding that the Spirit is received is received by us as a gift from God by faith and not by our own merit. He's really emphasizing that there is no merit to us receiving the Spirit, but it is a gift from God, the Father, to His children. And uh, you know, again, if there's any, you know, one to point out, if there's anything, any question or any uh, discussion that you know, one would want to have, please, you know, raise your hand. We want it to be kind of like our small group, <laughs> where we're where we're discussing things as well. So, but um, yeah, the you know, this gift of the Spirit is by God's free and sovereign grace, and He sends that to sends the Spirit to His children by faith. And if you took, if you turn quickly to John chapter fourteen. We'll see Christ telling the apostles the same, you know, the same thing. Beginning in verse 15. The apostle John writes, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be with you. And the the term helper there doesn't, you know, doesn't um, bring the idea of he's helping us with our, uh, with our daily tasks or things like that, but more like a helper in battle, like, you know, coming alongside and fighting along with us and, and empowering us to, to finish the course that God has placed us on as, as our King, and uh, we see the, you know, that Christ promised the Spirit to His people. And in verses twenty-five and twenty-six of the same chapter, it says, "These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you." And he continues, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, and so forth. God is uh, helping our, us by, he's given us peace to his enemies, which, which we were. Paul's point here in Galatians, back, back in chapter 3 of Galatians, Paul's point here in Galatians is that we receive the Spirit by faith undeservedly because we are sinful. It is a work of grace and mercy to, to send us a helper uh, when we are justified. He's arguing for faith by presenting the alternative and asking questions with obvious answers. And we see that early on here uh, where it says, are you so foolish having begun by the spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? 
God doesn't save us and then uh, leave us to do our own thing in the flesh. But that's why we have the Spirit given to us as, as Christians to, to perfect us, bring us to perfection in, in Christ at the last day. Did you suffer many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? You know, so then does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, did he do it by the works of the law? I mean, Paul's bringing his heavy arguments against uh, a works-based righteousness here in Galatians, and it, and it moves it moves on. In chapter 3, verses 6 through 14, Paul then begins to argue uh, based on the Abrahamic covenant, based on the promises made to Abraham. It says, even so, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. There's so much wrapped up in these verses about the union that we have as Gentiles in the flesh, union with Christ and there's there's no more separation between the Jew and the Greek, and we and it comes out in the text later on even even deeper. Paul shows that God has fulfilled the promise to Abraham in verse eight, where he says the scripture, seeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, <laughs> preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying that. And what Paul is saying is that when God promised that all the nations would be blessed in in Him, He's saying that this is the fulfillment that the Gentiles would come by faith. And receiving the gospel by faith as their father, Abraham, believed that promise. So those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believers, we see in verse 9. This shows us that both Jews and Gentiles receive the blessing and promise of the Spirit by faith, just as Abraham did. And it's just, it's a vitally important, uh, vitally important to understand the idea of the covenant that God has made with his people, with Abraham, and that he has fulfilled it. And it's not a, it's not something that we, that we see, uh, still hanging out there. God is the covenant keeping God. In verses 13 through 14, beginning, uh, this context really goes, flows down all the way to there. But for time's sake, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus the, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And as he's argued this, uh, you know, from the Abrahamic covenant, this shows us that both Jews and Gentiles received the blessing and promise of the Holy Spirit by faith, just as Abraham did. Verse 13 and 14 concludes this argument by saying that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, which was established in verses 10 through 13. Uh, that we are under a curse and has blessed the Gentiles as well as the Jews and the union that, that, uh, that we are now all under sin, all under a curse, both Jews and Gentiles, and we need Christ the Redeemer. We see that it is the Spirit, the promise of the Spirit through faith. It is, it has come to us in, in our faith as well. A gift from God. You know the ending. The ending from verses from verses fifteen through twenty-nine is vital to understand the the flow of Paul's argument. But it's summed up from verses twenty-six through twenty-nine, which says, "For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, 
There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. We see that we Gentiles can 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 experience and do experience the same blessings of Israel because we are, in essence, the spiritual Israel here. And what we are saying is that the Abrahamic covenant you know, is, you know, is fulfilled, you know, through the Gentiles coming in, which is what Christ commanded in the, you know, in the gospels, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So that it's not just a Jewish gospel. It's a world. It's the gospel for the whole world. Yeah. Correct. Correct. It's a. It's the same as um, uh, what <laughs> Pastor Emilio has said that you know the new humanity in Christ is you know it's been titled spiritual Israel things of that nature where instead of having a physical well you the, those are the Jews we're the Gentiles the promises and all them are only for the Jews. Uh, the Old Testament scriptures are for the Jews, and they have no ba- they have no bearing on us. We see that as uh, that it, it's really driving a wedge in Scripture, and we don't see the we you know, in, in that view where uh, well that was for the Jews and not for us. Seeing that we are with the Jews, and understanding that we've been grafted into Abraham into his covenant and the blessings of that fulfilled covenant, then we see that. You know that it flows to us too, and we and we can take the old covenant scriptures, and find great blessing in knowing that they're for us as well, and the blessings of that covenant are for us as well. Paul grows this argument uh, greatly. You know, he you know, in, in the sense of in chapter four, verses one um, through seven, he continually grows. He's uh, compounding his argument. He says, now that we're a part of ethnic Israel, but now he, he makes it even more clear. We are the descendants of Abraham. We're, in essence, we're sons, which, which we, we get to in chapter 4. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 7 says, Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father so also we while we were children were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world but when the fullness of the time came god sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law so that he might redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons because you are sons god has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts crying abba father therefore you are no longer a slave but a son and if a son, then an heir through God. And it's just, it's a vital thing to see. It says, when the Gentiles as heirs in Christ become sons, the Spirit gives us the boldness to cry out. See, prior you know, to Christ coming and the, this fulfillment of this covenant, we see that it was really the Jews that were, you know, it was seen, out of, out of Egypt I've called my son, speaking of the nation of Israel. And, you know, picturing Christ, of course. But we see that they were the ones who would, would call God their father and things of that nature. But now it's opened up to the Gentiles as well. We can call God. We can boldly come before God and say, our father, not our judge, but our father. If we're in Christ, we're given that access. 
we we don't have we don't have to like creep in whispering saying you know saying oh he's going to lash out in anger against us because we're not his children we are his children if we're in Christ we have that access to him to boldly come before him and he commands us to boldly come before him as children and it's such a glorious thing no more not a whisper and embarrassment that God is our father we are the children of God now and not the Jews only it's a glorious thing and a wonderful thing what thanks we should give to God for his work of mercy and grace in our lives for giving us that access. This is the power of the spirit that no longer is a Gentile uh, considered a dog. But, it, but, but we're a son. We're sons. That we are adopted into the family of God as Gentiles and that we are considered along with the Jewish believers and no longer as the dogs. Jesus himself, in when the Gentile woman comes to him and and is asking for you know for help from Christ. He says it's not lawful to give the children's meat to the dogs. And yet, seeing her faith, you know, you know, she says, "But even the dogs lick the crumbs from the master's table." And he heals. He gives healing where where it's asked for because of the great faith. It's a glimmer in the in in time showing that it was even Jesus Himself, His initial purpose to save Gentiles and not just Jews only. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> yeah. Dogs are not outside animals. <laughs> no matter how big they are. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Amen. 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 And just you know, seeing, you know, verse four, but when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman and born under the law. It was in his perfect timing. Everything that came before from the sin of Abraham and Hagar to uh, and 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 the sins of David and things of that nature, all leading up to this purpose, to the purpose of God bringing, his, sending His Son to die for Gentiles, to die for man. Notice in verse five, so that we might redeem, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. It's just he's redeeming his people out of the world from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. It's the consistency of scripture from Genesis all the way through Revelation. From, from the prophets that he'll, that he'll save a remnant you know, of the Jews. And we see that fulfilled, yes, with ethnic Israel, but even more so with, uh, with the rest of the world as well. Both groups into 
Amen. Yeah, amen. Exactly. That's a great parallel passage to to really the argument of much of Galatians as well. It's just a, a nice condensed version of what Paul is going extensively into saying that 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 barrier has been broken down. He's to, he's made the two groups into one, and those who are not in that group are without hope and without God in the world. Just as before, the picture of is that if you weren't Jewish, you are without hope and without God in the world because the Jews had the covenants and the promises and things of that nature. But now the fulfillment of that, of that type being really the church that we are, that we are united together with Christ in covenant. He continues, he, like Paul grows that argument even further from uh, chapter four, verses one through seven. And he goes all the way down uh, to the end of the chapter, speaking really of Sarah and Hagar. And it's a glorious uh, thing. We'll pick up reading in verse 21 and read down through the end. It says, Tell me, who of you uh, want to be under law? Do you, not, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. But the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son by the free woman through the promise. This is allegorically speaking. For these women are two covenants. One proceeded from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. Notice he's saying that you know, if you want to go back under the law, you're going back into slavery. In the same way that if Israel wanted to go back to Egypt, like some of them were saying, grumbling in the wilderness, what they're saying is you're going back into slavery. And it's in essence saying you're, you're leaving freedom for, for just something that is, it's unthinking. You know, who, oh foolish Galatians. When he says, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? He's really saying you're really that dumb. <laughs> you're really that just foolish to go back. You're not thinking. Notice verse 26, but the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. For it is written, rejoice, barren woman who does not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For, for numerous are the children of the desolate than of the, than of the one who has a husband. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. Speaking to the Galatians. You know, the, you know, it's just, it's an amazing, he's, he's, he's taken that illustration. He's bringing it home. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. But as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So it is now also. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. Notice that's an Old Testament passage going, you know, quote going back to when Sarah drives Hagar out into the wilderness. And I know growing up, I, I would read that and go, Man, poor Hagar. <laughs> she and her son are out in the desert going, you know, you know, thirsting for water and things. But if you, you know, if we don't understand that this is all part of God's, you know, God's providence in bringing about, uh, the salvation of his people in so doing. And Paul uses that, that instance here as an illustration showing the difference between those who are under the law and those who are saved in Christ. Because he continues, verse 31, So then, brethren, we are not children of a bondwoman, but of the free woman. 
And notice if you, uh, you know, the, the pneumatology point of it here is that we're born according to the Spirit. That as Isaac was born according to the Spirit, miraculously, Sarah being 90 years old, giving birth to a son, it's completely physically impossible in the flesh, but in the Spirit by God's, by the Spirit of God's work on her body, she could bear a son. In the same way, spiritually, as John 3 says, you know, born, he was born of the Spirit of Spirit, but he was born of the flesh as flesh. Again, he's saying that those who are in Christ are born of the Spirit. We see the Spirit's work in, uh, in bringing, in adopting us as sons, as giving us the spiritual life in Christ. Yes, Keith? You definitely see that, you know, prior to God calling Abraham, yeah, he was a Gentile. He was not a Jew, but the Jews as a nation come from him. And so he's, he's in essence seen as the father of, of Israel. And so he would be lumped in as a, as a Jew being circumcised, part of the covenant that was made with him. Um, but you know, I see what you're saying. And that's really my point is that from even beforehand, he is, you know, God is bringing about the salvation of his whole people. Which comprises, as we see, you know, from the New Testament, both of Jews and Gentiles, and not solely of uh, Jews only. That's why it comes to me, right? Is that it's not mm-hmm. just um, focused on necessarily the Jewish nation. Because that's where a lot mm-hmm. of the misunderstanding has often come down. Is that it was always focused on the Jews, right? But that the Gentiles were to be brought in. Correct. Yeah, there was. Um, it's almost there's a lot of people who would think, and I I come from a thinking where. Um, almost like if there, if there's a Jew who a, a Jew today who is Jew by blood and he is also a Christian, he's like a super Christian compared to just a Gentile Christian. You know, instead of being that we are united with Christ equally, you know, that we are one in Christ. And and as uh, Keith read in Ephesians, that 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 the two groups have become one in Christ. And it's that it's a really it's a strong argument and a strong. Um, uh, what would you say? A strong argument, you know, I guess, argument against that kind of thinking. To say, to see the the argument from Paul from Gen- from Galatians two through really the end of the book on the uniting of the Gentiles and the Jews in Christ, and we seeing seeing the work of the Spirit throughout the Spirit giving us new life in Christ, the Spirit, you know, uh, the Spirit's work in adoption 
connect with the Father and things of that nature. And it, it's an amazing thing. Yeah, it is a little bit of a mystery almost, um, even though we see that from, you know, you know, from us, you know, we see it in Genesis, you know, and we see it moving all the way through. But, yeah, I definitely understand that, that, you know, from Acts and you know, seeing the historical narrative in the New Testament and how there was a struggle with that. You know, Peter on the roof, you know, the, the, the thing, the, the, the thing comes down, the sheet, I can't think, the sheet comes down and all the unclean beasts are in there. And uh, God, you know, after God commands him to kill and eat, by the way, meat is good. Uh, <laughs> had to get that in there. No, um, you know, it comes down and God has cleansed these unclean animals that in the law, in the slavery of the law, Peter could not eat. And he says, no, I can't eat anything common or unclean. But now God is saying, I've cleansed the, the Gentiles. Go win them. That's the whole point of, of it all uh, in that in that text in Acts is, Go win the Gentiles. It's all, it's all part of it. It's all part of God's plan. It's just so interesting to see that, just like in John 3, that there's consistency in the scriptures regarding the Spirit's work in uh, regeneration, in bringing about new life in both Jews and Gentiles. From uh, J- John chapter 3, Galatians chapter 4, verses 28 and following, how the Son of the Son of promise was born by the spirit as it says here it's really important to understand that that him who was born according to the spirit you know so it is now also that those of us born by the spirit are persecuted by the sons born by the flesh it's, it's an amazing promise you know, show shown here promise from christ shown again here that if you're going to live godly in christ jesus you will suffer persecution it, you know that doesn't make us exempt by any stretch Continuing on in chapter five, verses one through twelve, I'm not. We won't read all of that, uh, but just understanding verse five really that for we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. He's continuing to labor. Paul's continuing to labor the weakness of, of keeping the law for merit with God by saying, as he does in verses three and four, which I'll say I'll read here, and I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law which no one can do just pointing that out you have been severed from christ you who are seeking to be justified by law you have fallen from grace for we through the spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness we see that it is the spirit given faith that that gives us the hope that we're waiting for Christ. We're waiting for this righteousness to come from Christ and not by our own works of the law. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. It's verse six. And he's just building on the weakness of the argument for the law for merit. You know, and yet he says that those who are circumcised are under obligation to keep the whole law and that those who trouble the churches of Galatia with this heresy will bear their judgment. We see that in verse 10 where it says, I have confidence in you in the Lord that you will adopt no other view 
but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. Continuing, but I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross is abolished. We see that the the cross, the preaching of the cross was to them who are perishing foolishness, that to the Jews it was a stumbling block, that this isn't what we were thinking was going to come. This isn't what we thought the picture meant, what the type meant in the Old Testament. It's a stumbling block to them. And he says in verse 12, the very graphic, I wish uh, that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves, that it would be, that they would be done with themselves, that they would be, that they would go away. Paul is, you know, his teeth, his bearing his teeth in, in, in essence. He's really shedding the theological blood for, because it is so important. He's anathematizing these people. He's pronouncing them accursed because of this heresy. And it's so, it's so amazing. I think an interesting, uh, I think an interesting aspect, even in what you're saying, that these people were cursed, <clears throat> and um, uh, I'll be sharing just a little bit on this today. But he says, would that those who were troubling you would even mutilate themselves, because they wanted to, they wanted the rest of the people in order to be accepted by God, mm-hmm. um, to circumcise, to circumcise themselves. Right. And so Paul, it's almost like he's engaging in sarcasm. If you think you're accepted by God, you should just cut it all, cut it, cut cut it all, all off. off mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Right. Go the whole way. You know, would that they, if you think they're accepted by God, you'll really be accepted by God. Right. You know, and that, you know, and He's the, yeah. I can definitely see that that tone. You know, yeah. Paul's not a a nice guy when when he's debating. You know, <laughs> he's not like uh you know he's not one that was like, well, brother, you know, it's really not like that. No, he's going straight for the theological throat when it comes to these things because of the importance of truth, the importance of faith alone, you know, being justified by faith alone, the work of the Spirit in giving us life and all these things. And it's, you know, the, the heresy, the damage that it was causing and would cause if, if Paul had not stepped in, in in this is that it would have just completely ruined um, the the hope of many people who probably who probably in essence from these passages came to Christ afterwards after seeing the error of the of that of the uh, the error and the 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 danger of the error that was there the Judaism error. If you notice, then he he continues in verse thirteen all the way through the end of chapter five, then talking about the practical, the practical is. If we're born of the of the flesh, here's how we're going to act. Here's how we're going to live. This is our lifestyle, what it's going to be. And if we're born of the Spirit, this is the lifestyle that's gonna ha- that we're going to have as well. So in verse 13, it says, for, for you were called to freedom, brethren. Again, we, we're still in the mindset of well, we're, we're children of the free woman. You know, we're, we're given the freedom, the liberty in Christ. We're not children of, of the slave woman. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. I think that's so important that, yes, we have the freedom. We're not bound by law, by the law of God to, you know, in slavery. We're given freedom to, uh, you know, to live for God and live in, in Christ and, and all these things. We're set free from our sin. And yet Paul is very, very clear, just as in Romans chapter six, to warn against uh, lascivious living for the freedom that we have, using the freedom that we have for an opportunity for the flesh. 
Because in verse 14, he quotes Christ himself. And he says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. In the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. So that you may so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The one who does these things who, and makes a practice of them is, makes it themselves evident that they are the children of the of the bondwoman and not of the free. That's what he's getting at. He's saying that these are, in essence, the children of Hagar, those who do such things, which, as Ephesians chapter 2 says, that's what we all did. But God, being rich in mercy, we're, with his great love, wherewith he loved us, you know, made us alive together with Christ. By grace we are saved, Ephesians chapter 2. And we see that he, he's now laying out that really it seems like He's he's saying that all the things that all these things are evident that the ones bringing out the the error in the Galatian churches were doing these things that there's many you know, that there's many sins along with these uh, this kind of uh, mindset and notice also it says let's see that the it, he he calls it in verse nineteen the deeds of the flesh are evident. Whereas in verse 22, it says, but the fruit of the spirit says the flesh does what it does. But here's the fruit bearing out from being born of the spirit. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And notice the very next thing. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. The pra- we've, we've seen the, the mountain peaks of the truth that God has, by His Spirit, given us new life in Christ, has adopted us as sons through the, through the working of the Spirit, given us faith in the working of the Spirit. And now He's saying, now because of that, live like this. Bear out the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. I believe that every Christian will have these and be growing in them, as Peter says. If things, if you know, he gives a list in the beginning of one of his letters, and he says, if these things are in you and abound, you know, and they and are growing, you know, we're, we don't believe in a sinless perfectionism in this life by any stretch. We're going to struggle with this, but at the same time, the heart of the matter is that those who practice the, the deeds of the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's a very clear statement from Scripture. Amen. It says, however, you are not 
spirit, it can be the spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Amen. We have the spirit indwelling in us by the gift of God. And God you know, Christ promised that he would send the helper in John chapter 14, and he has. You know, it's just an amazing thing that the freedom we have from sin in verses uh, 13 through 26, Paul then, you know, Paul has argued that the freedom from sin and the law um, are not, you know, they're not to go back under the yoke of bondage. He then progressed, and he's progressed into a description of the deeds of the flesh versus the deeds of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit. And he's saying we, you know, we are children of the free woman and not of the bondwoman, therefore act like it. Those who practice the deeds of the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God, as he says, but because they prove that they are not heirs of the promise with Isaac. In verses uh, 24 uh, through 26, again, just now these who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. He concludes by stating simply that those who belong to Christ crucify the flesh in its entirety and are walking by the Spirit, just like uh, Trish read from Romans. It's it's a you know Galatians being the the, the small Romans. You know, <laughs> there's so much that is you know that is right along with with Romans and Galatians. So many parallel passages that say almost identically the same thing. But just real quickly, the you know, in closing, this has been the Holy Spirit's work. He's you know, he's been our gift because of uh, you know by by God's grace in our justification. He's given us new life in Christ. The Spirit has. The Spirit gives us birth. John chapter 3, you know, talking of regeneration says those who are born of the Spirit, that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. And the wind blows where it wishes. We don't, we don't understand that. I still don't understand how the Spirit, uh, you know, convicts men of sin, brings, you know, new life, but I know He does. Scriptures tell me He does. Scriptures tell us that it's, it's the, you know, that He's the life-giving Spirit. We dare not commit error by misunderstanding the Spirit's work. Him, He Himself is nature, His power, because He's God, the Holy Spirit. The, the The gospel is triune; it's the triune gospel from the triune God. You know, Christ working the, His active and passive obedience and working to bring about our justification. The Father ordaining from eternity past that that would happen, and the Spirit applying it to His people. Definitely. Particularly, it's a glorious thing. And these, you know, these are all the the benefits of that finished work on the cross that we receive. We're we're the benefactors. We're the, we're inheriting, you know, joint heirs with Christ. We're, we're being that. We're right alongside Christ as our elder brother. You know, sharing in His glory because of the God, because of the grace of God. Not by our merit. And the the argument from Paul in Galatians is that it is not by our merit in any way. But it is all through faith in Christ and Him alone. Anything final? All right, let's let's pray and then we'll uh, go to worship. Father, thank You for the truth of Your Word. Thank You for the opportunity to to teach, Father. I... I know not why you use vessels like you do. But Father, I pray that your that your word would go forth in our lives. Help help us, I pray, Spirit, apply it to our lives. Accompany the word as it's taught, as it's 
preached, as it's sung, as it's read daily in our lives and in our homes. Holy Spirit, mold us more and more into the image of Christ. You've given us new life. I pray that you would perfect us in Christ in your time in the last day. I just pray for Brother Landon as he as he's preaching today, Father, and I pray that um, Christ would be magnified in the singing and the, the reading of your word, the, the elements of the table in all things. To him be the glory. For his, it's in his name we pray. Amen.